Now, there's one thing about the human animal. If it has class, it has it. If it doesn't, you cannot give it to them. This is The Law. Live audio wrestling with the latest news, info, and interviews from the world of pro wrestling, mixed martial arts, and the best of combat sports worldwide. You broke the all-time record for the largest gathering of trailer park trash the Rock has ever seen! I'm one of the biggest legends stars ever in the sky! And your teeth took that too tight too, Billy! And I heard the news the next day. And I slept like a baby last night. From time to time, we'll be bringing you what we feel were the best of our recent shows. Like me or not, I didn't come up here to be like, I came up here to get paid. And whoever you put in front of me, I'm going to drop you down. I've had them down there on the dirt. I know what it's like to eat out of garbage cans, man. I know what it's like to sit there on the street and do nothing. I know what it's like to fight. Now, here are your hosts, Chris Tidwell and Brady Weta. Ladies and gentlemen, this is the Law Live Audio Wrestling. I am one half of this hosting team. I am only a half. I can only, well, maybe two-thirds, just on size differential. My name is Chris Tidwell, otherwise known, formerly known as Notorious TID. And joining me, as always, my partner in crime, Brady Wedham. And this week... This week is, I mean, that that opening song could not be more prolific with what we have going on this week. It's a very old school song. If you know it, you know it. If you don't, well, figure it out, look it up, because you should know it. And our guest this week, I mean, I could not be more excited about this one. If you've been paying attention, you've seen one of the shorts out there. Uh, that has been put together. I'm talking about none other than, wow, an NWA, a pro wrestling, an AWA, a pro wrestling, a mid-Atlantic, a pro wrestling. Have you heard me say pro wrestling enough? An icon in the business. I'm talking about Nikita Koloff, kind enough to join me this week on my TID's kick in the head. As well as we are going to talk about, you know, the fact that all of the biggest heels in this business right now, I'm talking about The Rock, I'm talking about Christian, uh, Bully Ray, you know, Matt Cardona, 
like the biggest heels down the line in the world of professional wrestling and how you all are getting worked, especially after what happened with the rocks, you know, promo that he put out, everybody's getting worked and guess what? We love it. We're here for it all day long. We're going to talk about who is the baddest man in MMA right now. I mean, the heavyweights are dominating. And after this past weekend, what we saw with one fighting championship and after we saw with the PFL versus Bellator, there's some new heavyweights. We're going to examine that just a little bit. We're also going to talk about the fact that there is boxing and there is pro wrestling all emanating from the same family. I'm talking about Logan Paul and Jake Paul and why one of them is great and the other one sucks. That's one of the things that we're going to talk about. Now, before we get all of that out of the way, Brady, whoo, enough about me yammering on like a crazy man. How you been, brother? I was enjoying the soothing sounds of your voice talking about this week's the law live now um yeah that was long-winded as shit wasn't it buddy that's that's a hell of an opening you just did there and uh you are minutes you're correct though with everything said the legend nikita koloff blessed us with coming on tid's kick in the head this week so we've got that for you we're going to run down some heels and wrestling we're going to talk a little mma we're going to talk a little bit of boxing we're going to talk combat sports and sports entertainment that's what we do here and i am excited for this week uh, we have Sting's last match coming up tonight. Uh, depending on when you're listening to this, it may have already passed, but there's a lot going on. There's a lot going on. So let's uh, let's take a quick commercial break, and when we come back, we will crack open this can of tuna that is the Law Live Audio Wrestling. Bitch Fest. March 1st to 30th, make sure you have your passes to Bitch Fest, Toronto's most inclusive DIY punk fest. Bitch Fest delivers 14 shows at over nine venues, featuring over 50 of the best indie punk bands touring today. Every weekend in Toronto this March is Bitch Fest. Follow at bitch.fest underscore Toronto on Instagram and get your passes today at fanatickets.com. Well, welcome one and all. It's KJ with another classic clapback. And here we're going to be talking about, well, let's see. Let's talk about lying. Let's talk about the lies and the truths of pro wrestling. And what better to tell that than with a lie detector test? I'm talking SmackDown 2003 in April. And we are going with Mr. McMahon and the lie detector test. So what happened? Mr. McMahon, Mr. America. We need to get to the bottom of this. We need to figure out if Mr. America is in fact Hulk Hogan. We hook him up to the lie detector test. We've got the bing and the sound effect going on to indicate the lies and the truths. Well, Mr. America, of course, two separate people. He passes with flying colors, baby. So it must be rigged. Vince McMahon gets on in there and of course he is outed as a pervert power hungry freak as well as the biggest asshole on god's green earth well ain't that the truth and until next time i've been kj with a classic clapback oh by the way vince mcmahon once ate yak butter off an intern until next time he behaved himself in a pg manner but it's still not what we asked
Well, I, I have, have a these, question. What's your question? Have you ever had yak butter? Okay, I got a real, real question for you. Is he misunderstanding the instructions? It's supposed I, to be clapbacks of the week. I mean, it could very well be that he is misunderstanding the the mission. Maybe he doesn't understand the mission. I don't well, know. Well, KJ, if you're listening, um, my broy, my broy. <sighs> we want a history from <laughs> from the week. So, like, let's say this week is uh, the first week of March. So yeah. We want what happened in, in the week of March previous years. Pick a year. Pick a segment. But it's got to line up. I feel like he's doing the, the what he just talked about happened in the summer. Oh, I know what you did last summer. That kind of stuff. I could be wrong. Maybe it did happen in March, but I, I don't think he's. I don't think he's getting. It'd be the best if we've just wasted two and a half minutes of you bitching about what he's done, and he had it right the entire time. <laughs> That's what we do here. That's fantastic. This is probably right. why we get so much heat in the Esmini oh, Radio Group. Do we? We get a little bit of heat. We get a little bit of heat. Oh well, I mean, whatever. You know, listen. I don't go into the comments because I think that uh, much like much like the people that I want to talk about in a second here, I think that the smartest thing uh, is the way that you treat some of these people that are spewing hate towards you is you treat them accordingly. Mm-hmm. And by that, I mean, you just ignore their existence altogether. Let's talk about the biggest heels in professional wrestling, shall we? Let's go. So let me ask you this, Brady. We know like who the biggest heel is right now. I mean, you should know who the biggest heel is right now in the WWE. I'm talking about the rock, Dwayne Johnson, Mr. Dwayne. We know who the biggest heel is in AEW in, in, you know, Christian, Right now, who is literally living out his his character as a Bond villain, which is fantastic. I love every second of it. Who is the biggest heel for TNA right now? You'd almost have to say Bully Ray, right? He who has that ability. Uh, out on the indies, who's the biggest heel going right now on the indie circuit? Probably Matt Cardona. Yeah, Matt Cardona. Right? And so you have to, so what quantifies that question? What is that it takes to be the biggest heel, you know, in the company that you're working for, right? In my opinion, it's who can elicit that kind of emotion out of you to make you really want to hate that person based on the things that they say as well as the actions that they do. Right. So, I mean, correct me if I'm wrong, but I would say that those are the guys that elicit those emotions from the crowd, the best in the companies that they work for. Right. Yeah, I think. See, a portion of me feels like what takes to be a good heel as well is is people wanting to pay big money to watch you get knocked out. And it doesn't even matter who it's by. Is it is it just getting is it just getting you know to see you get knocked out? Well, your comeuppance. 
or is it yeah there has to be or or because we know now that there's a portion of fans out there that like relish in the the heels actions and i'm a heel fan you know we hear that all the time now too right so are they there to see what further shenanigans and you know debauchery the heel can get into i feel i feel like people would pay big money to watch dom Dom Mysterio, Dirty Dom, get his comeuppance if he was in the right program with somebody. So, because so he has the, that heat, that next level heat. I think The Rock is still drawing tickets off of his name, not so much off of the heat. Really? Yeah. You think Dom is a bigger is a bigger heel in the WWE than? Yes. Yes. Is he sold as a bigger heel? Close, but I, I I think The Rock is being sold as the number one bad guy. But I think that's kind of what you're saying. If people believe that, that's part of them getting worked. That is exactly what I'm saying. He's not a heel. He's he's out there doing a shtick, and it just happens to be the shtick he's doing is Hollywood Rock at the moment. Now, could you imagine? Which I fucking imagine, love. Could you imagine if this is the setup, though? Could you imagine if it is so layered and so deep? that he wants everybody especially in the media to believe that he's throwing this whole game that this whole thing is a shtick so that when he screws everybody over they can give everybody the we told you stupids um i don't this know i think i think they're keeping a lot of stuff open ended right now i truly do believe that they have a plan and they have a track that they want to be on but i do think they're keeping a lot of stuff open ended to let the crowd you know kind of dictate what's going on here i would love nothing more than for you know every time you see the <clears throat> the rock is throwing up the l or, you know, this whole thing, like the eye contact here, and everybody tries to put on their tinfoil hats and buy into some weird conspiracy. I would love for it to be nothing more than, well, I have arthritis in my thumb, so it doesn't close up like that anymore when I throw the finger up. Or, you know, somebody farted near Paul Heyman, and he was trying to figure it out, and that's why he was looking in this direction. Like, I would love nothing more than to just find out that all of this conspiracy stuff is just that just conspiracy stuff. Well, speaking about this, the SmackDown segment with the rock, Paul Heyman money, N not since Bobby Heenan. Have we seen anybody that has been so beautiful in the background? Yeah. doesn't even have to do anything. He's just his little, you can tell when the camera pans a little bit and they just see Paul and he's doing that behind like Jimmy's shoulder or do you just catch the little, the half of his face like this off the microphone? You know what I mean? Like he is selling this perfectly that when he, when the rock is and the rock basically was giving uh Roman, the head of the table and acknowledging him as his tribal chief, they panned over to Paul and Paul's face, man. Oh my goodness. Just beautiful. I, I love what they're doing. Isn't that part of the, that's part of the allure. That's part of the show. That's part of the program. That's part of the cell. Mm -hmm. And nobody does it as good as WWE because they, they take into consideration that there has to be layers to what it is that they're trying to get out to you. And just like in a movie, 
just like in a TV show, you have to have those camera angles. You have to get ready to go to this person for this shot, for this sell. And I think that this is one of the things that just makes WWE that much better. I've said it before and I'll continue to say it again. The WWE is a television program that happens to be about a wrestling company. They put on a TV show first and foremost, and that's why they do it better than anybody else. Cause everybody else is still putting on wrestling shows and the WWE is putting on performances. Period. I can't, I can't disagree with you as, <laughs> now, as much as I would like to keep this conversation going and having a, a back and forth. I actually can't disagree with you. I think the WWE you're right is perfect when it comes to yeah. it's perfect when it hits, when it hits, it's mm-hmm. perfect, but there's a lot of times it doesn't hit it's now, because of because of the amount of content they're putting out. Do you think, do you think that's, <clears throat> Do you think that's part of it, or do you think that there's also, when you go down the roster of the WWE, it's really easy to pick out a lot of really good heels and really good baby faces for that matter. But you can pick out, for example, The Rock, Dom, just like you said, you know, just a minute ago. There's there's two right there that are able to draw an infinite amount of heat. Mm-hmm. You look over in the other companies, it gets a little bit more scarce to be able to draw that many heels out of that lineup. I'll tell you why it won't happen in AEW, because anybody that could get actually get real heat outside of Christian is scared to. Why is that? I don't know. And I'm, I'm, I don't know if it's ego, if it's social media, if it's uh, that they don't want to commit. If they don't understand the business, I have no idea. Maybe it's a little bit of all of the above. The Young Bucks knew a year and a half ago that they could have been the biggest heels in the business. Okay. And they didn't do it until now. Do you, do you think, do you think, do you think that it's one of those instances where, where the company itself, we know where it came from and, and, and the birth of it, I mean, even the way that they sold it on their very first show was very social media driven. No, 100%. And it, was, and it was very driven to the point where it was like, oh, we're the pro wrestling community. We're the IWC and we're looking for an alternative. And everybody got behind it and this love for it. And so it, so the, 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 the entire base behind that company is the acceptance by the internet wrestling community. And they, people, maybe, maybe they don't want to upset the cart, right? That is the IWC. And so maybe that's why some people are very much, like you said, not willing to take that Uber heel position. Whereas somebody like Christian is like, <laughs> I'll do it. Okay. So something like AEW, people forget this a lot. And I, I, I don't, I don't know why they do when they constantly are bringing up uh, they're bringing up Twitter um, with Tony Khan on Twitter or somebody on Twitter or wrestling on Twitter or Twitter, 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 Twitter. When it comes to wrestling, the company started from a fucking tweet. Tweet? It started from a tweet. A tweet? A tweet. Tweet? What do they call it now? What do you, I don't have Twitter. So what is the X thing? What do they call it now? What are you putting out? Two tweet. No, okay, no, 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 two tweeting. 
<clears throat> this I don't like this. <laughs> no, no. What I'm saying is this, the company started from a tweet. It was something between Meltzer and Cody Rhodes and the boys got in on it and they're like, yeah, we could sell out. It was an indie show, right? It turned into one of them gimmicks. Man, I said yeah. I wasn't going to mention that fucker's name this week and I did. But it started from a tweet. So I'm not surprised that it's run and under the influence of said social media platform. Right. Mm-hmm. I think it's a Twitter company. So I think they got to keep Twitter happy and I think that maybe, you know, but Guys I mean that kind of scared. falls into that kind of falls into what I was saying is they're afraid 100 it does they're afraid to upset the cart yeah right because the different the problem is with Twitter too and maybe it's not everybody on there but the majority of wrestling fans it seems like on Twitter are extremely and I I hate the word toxic but they're nuclear 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 it's pronounced anyway simpsons references what are you a comment section in s mini radio what's going on here it's nuclear no yeah Shout yeah no radio and listen I, I i believe that it's not just there because if you look at the other bigger quote quote air quotes fingers are going up in the air if you look at those other companies you're looking at tna and you're looking at um you know and then you're just kind of the rest of the indies i guess you could say mlw roh but the rest of them just kind of get lumped into one big category so to say that the biggest heel out there right now is matt cardona and the reason that i say that is because he has the ability right now to really make the fans of the indie level really hate him mm, i think that's just a certain audience okay explain yourself young man for anybody that's met Matt Cardona in person. Sure. And didn't just give him money for an autograph. It's probably going to think he's a heel. If you've dealt with him in toy sales mm -hmm. or he's tried to buy toys off of you or collectibles, okay. whatever you want to call them, you probably think he's a heel. Okay. If you're a hardcore wrestling fan, deathmatch fan, I don't mean hardcore like as in hardcore you watch it every day. I mean hardcore as in ECW style shit. CZW. Sure. You hate him because he calls himself a deathmatch god. Mm -hmm. And then people in in <clears throat> in the world of of YouTube and things like that and whatnot and all these different platforms, they don't like him. Okay. They think he's a heel. I think everybody besides his wife thinks he's a heel. Seems like his own team thinks he's a heel. Mm -hmm. So maybe you are right. Maybe he's the biggest heel in life. And that's what makes him the biggest heel in the indies. But I, I see him smiling and laughing with a lot of fans. Like MJF, when MJF was doing his thing, when he'd go to a convention and you'd wait with your little chase figure, one out of like 100, and you'd sure. wait in line all fucking day for this guy to sign it. And he just signs it, then stamps on it and throws it. And now it's like pretty much worthless outside of the video you got. That's some heel shit. Give me that. But it's too few and far between. And this kind of leads us, Brady, to our TIDs kick in the head later on today because we're talking to a guy, like I said earlier, we're talking to a legend in Nikita Koloff. And Nikita Koloff, one of the first guys to really live that gimmick. 
no matter where you went, no matter if you were at the restaurant, you were at the bar, you were, well, probably not the bar because you didn't see him there. You were at a bookstore, you were at a movie theater, no matter where you were, if you ran into him, you were getting that character, that person that you saw on TV. You were getting that accent. You were getting that voice. You were getting that persona. So I think that it doesn't happen enough. So kudos to guys like Matt Cardona. Kudos to guys like MJF, right? Kudos to guys like Christian who are really, really pushing this heel character for themselves. I got another really good heel in WWE that we could give it to me. Logan Paul is a great heel. One of the better heels in the company. Logan Paul. Oh, well, yes. Now, what about his brother? Speaking of heels. Well, listen, listen, if we're going, I would say that they are both heels. Okay. And here's why I'm going to say that in two different ways, because I think that Logan Paul is a heel in the world of professional wrestling. I think that Jake Paul is a heel on the piece of bread that nobody should ever, ever use for anything in their entire lives, ever. Period. I don't know how it is that Logan Paul is doing so well. He is an athletic phenom, if you ask me. The fact that he has been able to come in, embrace the world of professional wrestling, and do so well is fantastic kudos to him and kudos to more so kudos to his ability to be trainable because his trainers have definitely done a very good job getting him into the position so that he can succeed there's no doubt about that his brother however seems to be wallowing in his own pestilence and existence right now trying to do this boxing stuff but never seems to find any kind of acceptance He spent his entire time fighting guys, you know, who were retired or done with MMA fighters to try to build something, to try to build some heat that, you know, with Dana and the UFC that has kind of fizzled out because Dana just gave it no steam. If there's no air given to that fire to stoke it, who gives a rat's, you know, what about it? So that kind of fizzled out. So he had to start fighting some boxers. He tried to fight a uh, quote unquote TV, you know, celebrity boxer guy by the name of fury who happens to be related to actual boxers but tommy is actually no you know he does not carry the same kind of name as say his his brother tyson that's for damn sure he got all of his his uh notoriety from being on a reality show in britain same kind of thing that jake paul did being that disney kid and he lost that fight and then he bounced back a little bit and now he's still fighting guys and he's you know got got a fight against a guy who's 17 and 2 right but like 47% of that guy's records were against dudes with losing records so he hasn't really still fought anybody he's not going to get that kind of that kind of you're doing okay in our business logan has done fantastic his brother not so much is this a black eye, do you think, on the world of boxing itself? Because this is the next, this is the representation that is out there. When we talk about social media and we talk about, you know, how much 
how much control it has over people in professional wrestling, not wanting to take that step as that big heel. Does it also do that same kind of thing in the world of boxing where it's, this is the reason that we know who Jake Paul is in the world of boxing is because of his social media presence. And is this a black eye on boxing? I don't think it's a black eye on boxing because I think boxing has been in trouble for a very long time. I think there's a couple of different stages of it. So when you had uh, Mayweather on top, uh, avoiding the fight with Pacquiao and Pacquiao avoiding the fight with Mayweather, whoever was responsible for that going on as long as it did. I think that was the beginning of, of the end. And then there was another middle point where, you know, you had influencer boxing started and it drew more than real boxing. So exactly what people were saying. Like, so when Canelo left Oscar De La Hoya, like when he had hooked up with him a couple of years ago and then he left his promotion, because I know that people were starting to think, oh shit, with Canelo and Oscar opening up a promotion, like maybe there's some hope for this. Like this is going to come back. Like, like Showtime is starting to, you know, mm-hmm. smarten up. Everybody's smartening up. Let's get boxing back on track. And then influencer boxing happened and became a huge thing. And I think this just showed what what boxing has been doing the whole time, which is not giving anybody the real fights. There's pampered records. And now we're seeing this happen right in front of us in real time with somebody who's got a scope on him that wouldn't normally have that big of a scope on him because of social media and because of who he is. Well, I mean, the last time that, that boxing gave us a big fight that everybody was clamoring for for so long was probably the uh, Terrence Bud Crawford Errol Spence Jr. fight. Everybody wanted that for so long. Ah, we want this. Ah, and they finally got it. And Bud Crawford housed Errol Spence Jr. Cleaned his clock like he shouldn't have even been in there. So careful what you wish for, people. Sometimes these promoters actually do know what they're talking about. I think going forward, the biggest fight to probably make, in my opinion, for Canelo, who is the biggest He's the biggest fighter in boxing, let's face it. And I think the fight to make for him is David Benavidez. If you don't make that fight uh, sooner than later, you're going to fall into the same kind of category that you did with a Floyd Mayweather and a Manny Pacquiao. Floyd Mayweather fought a lot of guys in his career. There's no doubt about it. But you talk about the guys that he fought, he fought them at opportune times. Floyd Mayweather beat Canelo. Think about that. But he fought him when Canelo was not the Canelo that we know now. Canelo now is somebody that, like, you know, you heard Jake Jake screaming for Canelo for a couple of years, and then Canelo finally said, all right, I'll fight you, and Jake hasn't brought it up since. Yeah. I think that's his dream fight. That's his dream fight, but he's going to wait until Canelo's 45. That's everybody's dream fight, and everybody's going to try to wait until somebody like that is 45. Right. And I mean, that time is actually a lot closer than you think for somebody like Canelo. He's been around for a minute. And there's a lot of guys that are moving into that weight category, that 168 kind of division. Right. Because they want that money fight because they know that Canelo is not going to be around for very long. So listen, let's get it going. Let's get it happening. I tell you what, Brady, we're going to take a quick break. All right. We're going to switch gears just a little bit here, and we're going to go away from boxing a little bit. We're going to talk some mixed martial arts. Who really is the baddest dude in MMA right now? And, yeah, I mean, you got to go with heavyweights. Um, 
So that certainly leaves you out of the equation, Brady. I'm sorry to say. So, yeah, listen, it's not my fault. It's not my doing. It just is what it is. But we'll take a quick break, and we'll get your opinion on some of these guys right here on The Law Live Audio Wrestling. I'm Chris. He's Brady. We'll be right back right after this. Do you have a podcast? Are you looking for high-profile guests for your show but don't know how to get in touch with them? Go to podstars.net. That's podstars with a Z, dot net. For less than $9 a month, you can get access to a huge selection of celebrity guests like wrestling superstar The Blue Meanie to musicians like Marty Ray and even actors like Tom Arnold. Podstars is the place to go to connect with everything you need for your podcast. So go to podstars.net with a Z to get signed up. At podstars.net, you'll be happy that you did. I'm Big Daddy Donnie Da Silva, and it's time for another truth bomb. You know, a couple of weeks ago, I talked about the Darby Allen promo leading to AEW Revolution, and I need to revisit that angle this week because Sting's going to retire today, and this is going to be my last chance to really talk about it. First off, I hear all the time that I never put AEW over, and I'm always burying them. That's just simply not the case. I tend to speak out about things I really like or things I really don't. And in the case of all elite wrestling, there tends to be a lot more of the latter. That being said, AEW has done an infinitely better job with Sting than WWE did. Now, I'm sure Vince McMahon had his reasons for handling the Stinger the way he did, not the least of which being the fact that he was a big star from somewhere else who refused to come to the WWE until the twilight of his career. But let's be honest, they did not give the painted face star the run he deserved. AEW has successfully made Sting feel special again. From his production to his spot on the card, they've done a pretty good job. Sure, you can argue that a 64-year-old in a company filled with young freak athletes shouldn't be 25-0, but they used him as an attraction, and if nothing else, he's definitely helped elevate Darby Allin. It's possible that other stars nearing or at retirement age that still have that craving for one more run will look at how AEW has treated Sting, or even Christian Cage for that matter, and say, you know, I might be too old to really be relevant in WWE, but AEW might really treat me well. That all being said, the build to the Revolution pay-per-view has been the absolute worst part of Sting's AEW run. This match, announced back in October, should only have one central story. It's the last time Sting works as a pro wrestler. That's it. Instead, the story has been muddied. It's about Darby hating the Young Bucks for not wanting to hire him when AEW first opened. It's about Sting's kids being attacked by Nick and Matt Jackson and now needing revenge. It's about Ric Flair being angry that he's excluded from this program, then he turned heel and then immediately turned face again. Flair's geriatric offense on Dynamite this week has turned into a meme and done more bad than good for this match and the company as a whole. And on top of all that, there's the fact that without reason or need, the tag team titles are at the center of this saga. Why? Would it have been too much to ask to have a program completely centered on the man who generations of fans grew up with and are going to miss? Couldn't they have pivoted to this Darby Buck side quest afterwards? If Flair needed to be involved, all he had to do was be a corner man, and maybe he throws a chop at Brandon Cutler or something when he tries to interfere, and then he can be in the ring and hug his longtime friend at the end. Sometimes, less is more. 
In this case, a lot less would have meant way more. I'm Big Daddy Donnie. You don't have to agree with me, but it's the truth. Well, there we have it, ladies and gentlemen. Another truth bomb from Big Daddy Donnie right here on the Law Live Audio Wrestling. I am Chris Tidwell. He is Brady Wedham. And let me ask you this, Brady. I got a question for you. In your opinion, in the world of mixed martial arts, typically, who is the king of the jungle? They say John Jones, but I think it's Ningano. So you're basically, but but a heavyweight. Yeah, one hundred percent a heavyweight. Always the heavyweight is the king. Always. Of the in, Always. in in all of the fighting, in boxing, heavyweight champion Mike Tyson, baddest man on the planet. Right. Yeah, it's the biggest dude. Well, uh, not Tyson, but no. Anyway. But I'm saying, like in heavyweights, like usually it's one of the bigger, badder dudes. Brock so what Lesnar. We- Fabricio Verdum, you know what I mean? Like these big monsters of human beings. So when so when we think about the world of MMA, we think the same thing. Heavyweights, just like you said, it's going to be guys like a John Jones. Or yep. you said you think Francis Ngannou. Mm-hmm. Why do you think Francis Ngannou? Well, because I think Francis is on a different different level than most human beings. I think he's got, you know, the strongest punching power. And I truly believe that he's a boxer at heart. And he just did MMA to open up the door to get that big money. You know, when he was, when they were at the event, the PFL versus Bellator, and they were interviewing John Jones and John Jones is sitting there saying, you know, I'm taking some time and all this stuff. And they pan the camera over to Nagano. And uh, I apologize, Nikita, for my language, if you're listening, but he's like, you got fat fuck. Like he basically just said, he goes, you're just a big fat sack of crap, John. Like you fight me. You're supposed to be fighting me. I am, I am Superman. Right. 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 I think he would cry. I personally think he would destroy John Jones. Well, okay. Let's look at it on, uh, on paper. Um, because you probably say that because of the different types of highlight real fights that you could compare them to. Right. Uh, no, I just think right now, I think John Jones is old with a really long-term demons that have catch up to you when you get older. And okay. I think Nagano is in, he's a physical specimen. And I think he's going to be that way until he's about 75 years old. He's just one of those guys. He's a freak of nature. He is a Brock Lesnar. He's that kind of freak. So Francis Nganu, six foot four, 260 pounds with an 83 inch reach. Yeah. And the strongest punching power on record, apparently outside of Pfeiffer. He's got a record of 17 and three with 12 of those wins coming from knockout. Mm-hmm. John Jones, six foot four, two hundred and fifty pounds, with an eighty-four inch reach. Mm-hmm. He's got a record of twenty-seven and okay, twenty-eight and zero. It's twenty-eight and zero. Okay, let's face facts. With only ten of those coming from knockout. Mm-hmm. Now he's only had a couple of fights at heavyweight, so he doesn't know how to really parlay that power. Right. We've not seen it. He may. We haven't seen it because his only fight at heavyweight so far has just been a, you know, couple minute mugging. It's there, but it's not on the level of Francis. Now. Then we've got to look at the other heavyweights in the in the division 
or uh, in the world of mixed martial arts, I should say. Mm -hmm. And we're talking about a guy in who fights in PFL, the guy that Francis Ngannou should be fighting in PFL if he ever comes back to the world of mixed martial arts. That's a different topic that we will probably discuss more in detail right here on the live audio wrestling. Cheap plug to all of you that are already listening. Doesn't matter. Anyways, I'm saying that Francis Ngannou, his status in PFL, still under contract. If he comes back, he has to fight the guy that the only guy that got the win when they did PFL versus Bellator, the guy that knocked out Ryan Bader in 20 some seconds. Uh, I'm talking about Hen Ferreira, the problem that they call him. No, now, he's a problem. He is six foot eight, 260 pounds with an 85 inch reach, trains out of Team Noguera. He's 13 and three, which means that he's lost three times. Now, at heavyweight, we know how much this can happen, but out of those 13 wins, 11 of those wins are by knockout. Mm hmm. He is it, it, because I don't think that people realize how long that jab is. 85 inches is massive. And we're talking about a guy who's six foot eight who puts some power behind that as a heavyweight in a jab. We saw exactly what happened to Ryan Bader. He got sat on his ass, and then that was it. So you've got a guy like that. And then you saw him. We all saw him this past week in one championship. Our triple one champion, man. Unbelievable performance. Those Russians, dude. Now, we've talked about this. One, one championship has, they do their weight classes a little bit differently, right? Although the maximum is still the same, 265 across the board, just like it is in all the rest of them. Their light heavyweight goes, uh, they have their light heavyweight kind of in there as well that goes from 206 to 225. So their heavyweight is basically 226 as opposed to everywhere else that it is 206 to 265, which is an incredible amount of you know differential if you're a Brock Lesnar fighting a Randy Couture. And we saw how that worked out. It's a big jump. Huge. So one has it 206 to 225, then 226 to 265, and then middleweight being uh, the 185 to the 205. So for you can fight at, you know, if you can get down to 205 pounds and walk around at 240 pounds, you can fight in three different divisions. And that's exactly what we saw from Anatoly Malekin. This guy is a he's a guy you need to keep eyes on, ladies and gentlemen. And he's not a big guy like the rest of these guys. We're talking when we talk about Francis and Ghana, we talk six foot four, John Jones, six foot four, Henan Ferreira, six foot eight. What do you think Anatoly Anatoly Malakin walks around at? He 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 maybe six foot. Five foot eleven. Yeah, yeah. Five foot eleven walks around at about two hundred and twenty-five pounds. So it's a great way for him to fluctuate up and down in that division in that company. He's only got a seventy-eight inch reach. So you ask yourself, how does this happen? Well, do because wrestlers. he's a stud. 
This dude wrestles and he generates force. Now, maybe, you know, some of some of you have asked me that I had talked to when this happened. And the fact that one also has a little bit of a different rule book, so to speak, because you can give knees to a downed opponent. You can smash them when they're on the ground. Right. And that's kind of what happened. If you saw this past fight, basically he made his opponent give up on the ground, a verbal tappage, if you will. Right. He beat him into a submission, pulled away from him, said, get up. Herb Dean said, you got to get up. And dude was like, nah, I don't think that's going to happen. When he, when he took those, uh, those pictures afterwards and he's wearing all three titles, it looked like he was wearing a t-shirt. Those titles are huge, dude. Those are the most cartoonic. I love them. Um, they, they remind me, all right, are you ready for this? This is going to be a little bit of an insight to some of you out there. They remind me of the old ICW, uh, Johnny canine heavyweight belt that was only made for him because he was the only person that it would fit. And also the only person at the time that could actually carry this thing because it weighed 743 pounds, right? And I think uh, I think somebody ended up getting a hold of it someplace and put yeah, a sticker on it. It became a car hood. <laughs> became a fucking Buick hood, man. When it somebody got, lost got, their hood. Well, it, I heard that it got melted down, and they actually used that to make uh, to make roofing for an entire community. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, yeah. I would be. Uh, I would. Be, so, who's your guess? Who? What? I said Francis. That's your bat, the baddest man yeah. on the planet to you. Right yeah, now. that's my baddest man on the planet right now. Interesting. Francis, Francis, yeah. If we're talking about combat sports. Interesting. All outside right. of combat sports, I'd say Sean Strickland. But inside of combat sports, I'd say Francis. Well, listen, I would love to hear more from our law-abiding citizens out there about who they think is actually the baddest man in MMA right now. The unlawful listeners. The unlawful listeners, if you will. What were a few of those other names? There was the regulators. The yes. trademarks. The la 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 la. No, we never. No, that was you that was just doing that. Oh, the lollipops. Okay, well, I think I think Francis. So, who do you think? Uh, listen. At the end of the day, I think that. You have to go with the guy who has the most experience. You're going to say John. I think you have to go with the guy who um, brings the most talent, not just a punching skill, but the most talent to the table. Uh, when you're talking about, if we're talking about heavyweights and who the baddest one is out there, I think you have to certainly if we're talking everybody right now of all time, it's different, but right now, Jesus, spit it out. <laughs> you're killing me. I know I am. Cause you're going to say John Jones. Am I? Yeah, you are. You're going to say John Jones and you can sit there and try and figure out who else you could say right now. Quick to try and steer this off. But you're going to say John Jones with all those things that you just put out there. So I know well, your answer. We want to see our answers fight. We definitely want to see our answers fight. 
Yeah, I, I think that's the fight to make. I, I do really feel like they're going to have to go My answer is Tom Aspinall. Shut the fuck up. <laughs> <laughs> wow. Sorry, Nikita. Wow. Seriously, dude. Do you think Tom Aspinall is... is I think Tom Aspinall starches John Jones right now. That's right. And I think yeah. that Tom Aspinall also out-wrestles and beats down Francis Ngannou. Bullshit. I think Tom Aspinall beats every one of those guys that we've talked about who are champions with the other companies. Oh, my. Look at you in Aspinall's corner. I think Tom Aspinall is the baddest heavyweight out there right now. He might be. Actually, I, I, I don't disagree with you. I, I, I do feel like he is. He, if you had a triangle of fuckery, he's part of that triangle. He is. Absolutely. He's the he's the middleman in that. Absolutely. Well, let's get let's get Nagano uh destroying Joshua. Let's get him going to the PFL and fighting somebody there and getting that uh out of his way. Back to the UFC, and then maybe he fights the winner of Jones and Aspinall. Because I do feel like they just want to keep pushing the Stipe fight, and I don't think people realize Stipe is almost 42. Like everybody talks about the fight, you know, John Jones Stipe. And, and Stipe Miocic. Everybody talks about the fight with John Jones and Francis Ngannou. Everybody talks about the fight with Francis Ngannou and, and Anthony Joshua. But could you imagine? Could you imagine we live in a world where you get to see a Tom Aspinall coming into his prime fighting against a Francis Ngannou? Oh, man. Give it to me. That's the heavyweight clash that we want to yeah. see, ladies and gentlemen. Well, speaking John of Jones back onto the farm with you all right speaking speaking of icons that are heavyweights yes former heavyweight champion now a tag champion sting is wrestling his last match tonight uh -huh. what do you think about that listen all good things must come to an end mm-hmm and Sting is a guy who uh, has definitely earned every bit of accolade that he's ever gotten. I think that he was only misused once in his entire existence. And I think that that was by the WWE. I don't think that they quite knew what to do with him when they had him at the time that they had him. I think that TNA handled him better. And I also think that AEW has done a good job of handling Sting with who Sting is, where he is in the world, what he means to the business, and uh, what you need to do to these kinds of talents on their way out, I think that uh, Sting is one of those one of those talents that you don't see a whole heck of a lot of anymore. Mm -hmm. I think that he's deserved every every little bit of praise that he's gotten, and I hope that he enjoys retirement instead instead of what happens so much where guys get complacent and sit around and wonder if they made the right decision. So congratulations to Sting. I think that another person that has done this is actually somebody who spent time in the ring with Sting. He's got that Sting ring, that ring Sting. No, those are two different things. hey -oh. But we are going to segue into what is going to be TID's kick in the head. And we're going to talk to another guy who happened to have worked Sting in one of the most famous Russian chain matches 
talking about Nikita Koloff. So for those of you that are listening to this on all of your podcast providers, Spotify, Apple Tunes, Podbean, wherever it is, you will seamless all going to be seamless for those of you that are watching this over on youtube you can also go right over and check out the tids kick in the head if you uh, subscribe to all of this you'll get a notification on it if you haven't yet please do so um if you're just finding out about us thank you so much it's been an absolute rocket ship what we're doing right now i am looking forward to even more of this i want to say that um Brady, it's been one hell of a week. Yes, it has been a week. Another <laughs> week. It certainly has been another week. And we're about to start an even crazier week. I can I can feel it in the air. We've got UFC 299 coming up. I am so stoked for that. We have Matt Riddle coming into town in May. So we're going to start promoing all of that. Matt Riddle's coming to Destiny Wrestling. I can't wait for that. Um We've got a lot going on. We, we Maybe we'll talk. We'll have some stuff to talk about after Sting's last match here tonight. Maybe there's some goodies and some some tidbits that we can we can rip open next. Yeah, not your biddies, Tid. Some tidbits oh. um, that we can rip open on, on uh, next week's The Law. And, you know, if you're a YouTube subscriber, thank you for being here. And we might even put out something special for you this week because we have been known to do that. So stay tuned to the channel uh chris you got anything you want to uh, say to these people before we roll this right out for the week listen one thing you have to remember it doesn't matter it does not matter what life throws at you be it good be it bad be it happy be it sad all you got to remember is to do one thing it's pretty much tuck your chin hello special friends you can catch Greg and Brad, your smack daddies, each weekend on the SNME Radio Network. We cover our lives, what's happening on the East Coast, and eventually cover SmackDown. Check us out each week at SundayNightsMainEvent.com. Please subscribe to get your smack daddies and the rest of the SNME Radio Network content directly to your podcatcher for less than a dollar a week. We the ones! Ladies and gentlemen, thank you so much for joining me. This is TID's Kick in the Head, a nice little segment that we like to have a sit-down conversation with some of the best human beings, not just in the wrestling business, but in life in general. And this is one for me that I've been looking forward to for a very long time. We're talking about a Hall of Famer, an NWA icon, a wrestling icon, and more importantly, a man that put a stamp on the professional wrestling industry for having not a long, long out, you know, uh, extended run by any stretch of the means, probably one of the smartest people in the business because he set out to do one specific thing and that's it. Didn't change it up. Didn't do none of that stuff. Didn't go here. Didn't go perfect. Also, I got to tell you a little bit, little secret behind the curtain, 
scared the living bejesus out of me if I ever <laughs> ran into him when I was when I was younger and I was watching wrestling. I'm talking about none other than the living legend himself, Nikita Koloff. Nikita, sir, thank you so much for taking the time out of your busy schedule to join me today. How are you doing? Hey, it's just an honor to be with you guys. And uh, I love the tech kick in the head. I love that. Uh, the law, live audio wrestling. Uh, Chris, it's just a, a, a privilege to be with you. Thank you for the invitation. Thank you so much, sir. Uh, my first question that I have to ask in doing research and following your career and whatnot is I have to ask you this. What is in the water in Minnesota that has spawned so many uh, fantastic professional wrestlers such as yourself? Yeah, I, you know, somebody needs to sit down and really kind of count, count, tally up the Minnesota guys. Now, just from my high school, of course, I've shared this story quite a number of times, but just from my own high school in, in the mid-70s, there were seven of us just from Robbinsdale High School. And then you could actually add technically a couple guys to that, a guy by the name of Vern Gagne, who also graduated from Robbinsdale. Now, he was back a couple decades prior to me. Um, but then me, Gene Okerlund, yeah. was a graduate of Robbinsdale High School as well. And then if you add in the mix, yeah, you add in everything from Scott Norton to uh, to Wayne Bloom, Mike Enos, the Road Warriors to, I mean, you just go down the list. Jesse Ventura, I mean, it's it's crazy. Technically, you know, Flair's a Minnesota guy. I mean, one after another after another. So I, it might be all that iron ore from northern Minnesota, I think, Chris. Is that what it was? I, I was thinking, like, at your high school, because as I'm looking at the list of all of these people, I'm thinking to myself, on career day, was it just like they just looked at you and said, you're going to be an actor, you're going to be a wrestler, you're going to be a wrestler, you're going to be a wrestler, you're going to be a wrestler. No, no, not really. Not really. Because <laughs> now, now quite a number of us played football. We we're on the mm -hmm. same high school football team one year. You know, we graduated different years. But um, nobody really, we didn't really talk about pro wrestling at, that I recall at all. I mean, you know, obviously Kurt Henning's dad, Larry the Axe Henning, was, was, uh, was, uh, had a storied career in the AWA and other places. And we knew that Kurt's dad was was a pro wrestler, but at that time, nobody ever really, you know, dr dreamed of the idea. Hey, maybe that's something we should go into. We never really talked about. It. We, I mean, we, we were playing sports, but it was di different different stuff, right? If you if you think about it, like, because I remember, like, even for myself growing up, and I, I wrestled in school. I didn't play football in school because you're, I played music instead. So believe it or not, this was a member of the marching band. Yeah. Give wow. Come on. Come on. You're an intimidating right? marching band person. I'm just I saying. Was, I was on the drum line. Okay. So it was like the cool kids of the marching band. Nonetheless. I, I love the drums, by the way. I, I love you guys. Like for real. Man, I hear yeah. some of those some of those drum ensembles, and man, I, I love it. I, it's, I anyway, it's keep incredible. Going. It's incredible how big it really is in the states, right? Like the drum and bugle corps, not just yeah. outside of like high schools and colleges. Like it is, it is a really big thing down in yep. the United States, right? So yes, sir. Yeah, very, very, yeah, very much. Anytime, two things: drums, bagpipes. Hit me up with bagpipes. Hit me up with drums, man. I'm I'm there. I'm a fan. Okay, I don't know about you, and this might be just a little side thing, but for me, I mean, I, I enjoy the bagpipes, I enjoy the songs, I enjoy that, but there's always one. If you play Amazing Grace on the bagpipes, I don't care who you are, where you are, boy, you feel it here deep in your throat, and there might be a little bit of trickle come down your eyes. 
come on. Like, like for real. Years ago, uh, my sister, my brother, and I went over to uh, England. My mom was actually born in Eng England up on the Scottish border. Okay. Some people don't know that. And uh, so I got some Scottish, Irish, English roots. Uh, uh, outside of the Ru Russian roots, I've got sure. some Scottish. <laughs> and, uh, but we were walking in London. And, and to your point, man, I just like froze. I'm like, okay, hold, hold on. Somebody's playing bagpipes somewhere. Right. And, and so we went, we found right where the dude was. And, and man, I was just mesmerized by the bagpipes. And I have requested that if, if you ever attend my funeral, Chris, what you're going to hear is Amazing Grace on the bagpipes. So that, that's one, one of the things I've written down. I want Amazing Grace on the bagpipes played at my funeral. You just plan on having everybody sobbing the entire time, don't you? <laughs> good, good. <laughs> so you've talked about it many, many times, and everybody knows about the phone call that happened, right, to get you into professional wrestling. The call. The call, as it's referred to nowadays, right? Um, but you show up, they tell you, shave your head, you're going to be on TV. Was there any point in time during these conversations and all of this stuff where you said to yourself, what am I doing? Well, I, I actually going into it, you know, when I, when I had, when I first made the call to, to Jim Crockett after getting the call from Road Warrior Animal, um, you know, that was a couple of months prior to my showing up in Charlotte, North Carolina. It, the craziest part when I think back on it now is, I never had another conversation with Jim Crockett. I, I had the one five-minute conversation. I had an address and I had a date and what day, what day to be there. And and you know, there's no cell phones in those days, and there's no selfies and there what all, any of that. And I just I showed up the day he said to be there, but I went into it, Chris, thinking, you know, I'll give it a shot. It, if it doesn't work out, I still got a pro football tryout lined up. I'll head down that path and fulfill that dream if it doesn't work out. That's pretty much the attitude and the mentality I, I, I drove to Charlotte with. Did you have, okay, and, and everybody knows that you'd set out a plan. You said by 35, I'm done doing this. What was your plan for after? Did you have that mapped out at that time too? What am I going to do at 35? Because that's way too young to retire. Well, so so what's interesting, if it hadn't been pro football, yes. Like, I can vividly recall at about the age of 12 when I picked up that Iron Man bodybuilding magazine and was enamored by what I, what I saw in the pictures, bought a 110-pound weight set, began to read the articles, lift the weights. That At that time, believe it or not, like I had mapped it all out. I'm like, all right, I, I'm gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna be a bodybuilder. I'm gonna lift all these weights. I'm gonna play. I'm gonna eventually play football, play high school, college football, pro football. Uh, and even then, I thought ten year career max, ten max. Mm -hmm. And and uh, I'll go into coaching, and eventually I'll, I'll work up the ranks in coaching. I'll have an illustrious coaching career, and then I'll sail off into the sunset and live happily ever after. Right now. Obviously, the the latter part, the the pro football career and coaching never materialized because of the wrestling. Right. So all that to say, Chris, no, I never really uh, contemplated 
what I would do once I walked away from wrestling. And, and there is a there is a whole story to what happened when I walked away that you know we can get into at, at some point if you want. But yeah. but no, I I I in fact there was a season there in 1993 when I'd walked away wondering actually what am I going to do with the rest of my life? Right. Yeah. When when you show up for that first show for TV, you walk in. What was everybody's reaction to you? Because you look way different than what a lot of the wrestlers did. Nobody knew who you were. You had zero background, right, in the world of professional wrestling. Right. You just kind of showed up out of the blue to some of these guys. Um, who took, who, gravita who gravitated to you first? Well, so, of course, you know, I... Part of the storyline was that it's going to be Ivan Koloff's nephew, right? Right. The Russian bear. And and then his partner at the time was Don Kernodal, and they were the world tag team champions. So, you know, fortunately, I, I, I met a few of the guys, a handful of the guys the day before at the wrestling office um, when they were cutting all their interviews and their promos and, and all of that. And, and, but, you know, and that was kind of a, a quick introduction. Um there was no discussion as to, you know, where, where was I from and, you know, where'd I get my experience and any, any of that, you know, we just, we just cut the interviews were done and given instruction to be in Raleigh, North Carolina the next night. And, and I think back on that, Chris, and really that night, kind of the who's who of pro wrestling was there. I remember, I mean, you know, I'd never met Dusty Rhodes, but I'm like, okay, you're, I'm sorry, Dusty who, what's your name? You know, uh, like for real, right. King Kong Bundy, Stan Hansen, uh, I remember being, I mean, it was a huge four hour television taping something. They were doing some kind of special taping. And uh, so they had all these extra guys, even from outside territories in uh, for the taping. And so it, it was a, it was a, a, a rapid introduction. And once guys began to, began to uh, find out that I had no experience, no training, no background, amateur or otherwise, uh, then it, you began, I began to feel and sense uh, from some guys, not all the guys, but some, um, perhaps some animosity, uh, some jealousy. I mean, let's face it. Some of these guys have been there five, six, seven years trying to get a break. Mm -hmm. And here comes this guy from Robsdale, Minnesota, via Russia. Uh, <laughs> ha ha. Um, <laughs> Who's who's got no experiences right. and and is thrust into main event essentially main event day one. Right. Um, there were there was there were some things to contend with, but Ivan was great great about that too. He'd pull me aside every now and then. He go, "Don't let that bother you." You just call me Nikki, right? He go, "Don't let that bother you, Nikki. You stay focused. Keep doing what you're doing." You, he, I always remember him saying this: "You maybe didn't pay your dues in the wrestling ring." but you paid your dues in other ways. And that's what's led you to have this opportunity. And that opportunity, let's face it. I mean, it was must-see TV. When Nikita Koloff was on TV, you knew some kind of mayhem was going to go down. You knew somebody was going to get not a clothesline, but a sickle. Uh, and you knew that there was going to be an ill-fitting white suit possibly at some point as well. <laughs> yeah, right. It was always, it always used to crack me up because here's this ginormous set of shoulders 
in this suit and this the shirt's kind of tucked in but not really tucked. did those suits actually even fit properly <laughs> you know uh, and I, I remember you it, i don't know why i remember this but, but that suit coat yeah. um was size 54 but it was a 54 because to your point it it's the only way it could fit in my on my shoulders now right. it hung like a gunny sack on the rest of me <laughs> but in order for my shoulders to fit my traps it was a 54, size 54, which is big, right? And that's the thing. That's the thing. Like traditionally, your physique, when you've got traps up to your ears, I mean, you know as well as I do, that screams that screams baby face. That's that Carrie Von Eric. That's that Magnum TA. That's that, that look. And then out of the norm, here comes this guy with this perfect resting B face, the entire time this scowl right that just worked perfectly let me ask you about this because you talk about the the lack of training uh, traditional training i know that you you know according to the stuff you did get some training with eddie sharkey and whatnot um Cor let me correction. ask you about this okay hold, please go hold, ahead hold that thought hold that question See that that's it, and, and I I think people, so many people assume yes. because he trains so many either my friends or just Minnesota guys, mm -hmm. they assume and I guess it's out, I don't know it's out there on Wikipedia or something I don't know but I always hear that but I always have to make the correction and no fault of yours that I I only knew Eddie in passing because he trained some of the other guys that's the only way I knew Eddie again when I walked into Jim Crockett's office. Uh, that day for the interviews and then showed up at Raleigh the next night my introduction to a wrestling ring was on television in front of a sold-out crowd trial by fire and Crockett's instructions to Ivan were if he trips on the ropes getting to the ring he's out of here he's history and so I had to focus on and I thought how hard can that be but as you know having been in the ring it's not as easy to get in the ring as one might think if they've never done it right right yeah. And so, yeah, so Eddie and I have a mutual uh, respect for one another, but the, the facts are uh, he, I had not one, I had not five minutes of training with Eddie Sharkey or anyone else for that matter. So didn't mean to interrupt you there, no, but no. so back to your question. So, so my question is inside of this, all of your work with the horsemen, obviously you meet Ole Anderson, mm. God rest his soul, who just recently passed. Yeah. Right? Um, yeah. But everybody knows the 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 legend of Oli and how he was not necessarily the most um, approachable um, <laughs> of human beings. You're and being so always, kind, and Chris. he always You're... and he always had an opinion on everybody. Yes, yes, my he question, did. My question to you was which side of the line because you were either okay or you were garbage. <laughs> I, I I like I you know I mean it's uh. Yeah, you're right. I mean, he only had his own personality, right? And uh, and uh, I, I, looking back, I would say I had a pretty uh, amicable relationship with Oli. Um, you know, we worked against each other some, you know, in the day in those in those uh, horseman days and that sort of thing. And and later on, he would be there's there is a story I'll share with you that Please. was interesting. Actually, it was back in the hometown of Minneapolis. And, and it was at the latter part of my career, 
And, with, you know, they were just throwing matches together, and there really didn't seem to be any rhyme or reason for, for why. I mean, there was no angles half the time. It was just crazy. WCW was going through some real transition. They they didn't have any – they really lacked some leadership. Ole was a, an agent at that point, okay? And we're in Minneapolis. I'm booked, main event against Ravishing Rick Rude uh, in a cage. In a cage. Okay. You think, okay, cage match. And Ole has to bring the finishes, right? Yeah. So he tells me Rick's going over. I'm the baby face. Up to that. Now, look, I hadn't been in the business, you know, for decades like Ole or Dusty or anyone else, but I learned enough to know when does a baby face ever lose in a cage match? Typically, typically, to my knowledge, back up to that point anyway, I'm like, man, the baby face goes over. And and I probably only could tell from the expression on my face when he gave me the finish that I wasn't all that happy. And uh, now, at the same time, I'm a business guy, right? I want to I, I want to do what's right for business. I'm, I'm don't want to be a troublemaker. And so I remember I remember viv- vividly this conversation. Said Oli, you've been in the business how long? Nikki, he called me Nikki too. He's like Nikki. I I I go Oli, you've been in the business how long? <laughs> I go how often? Whether you were a booker, an agent, or anything else, Oli, did a babyface lose a cage match? I'm just giving you the finish and I don't have a time. There's no one to call. You know, we're just, I go, I'm not asking you to call anyone only. You know what? I'm going to do the job because that's the finish that was sent out of respect for you. I'm going to do the job. But you and I both know this is a bunch of, this is garbage. This is a, this something's wrong here. Right. And he, he couldn't argue the point, couldn't disagree with me. And then ravishing, I want to tell you this, ravishing Rick to his credit, to his credit. He knew the deal too. And he kind of goes, Nikita, I don't know what's going on, but after I get my hand raised, you do whatever you want to me. But you can leave me laying, whatever. You just do whatever you want. And I did. I after that match, man, I I I I mean he got his hand raised. I forget what we did. Just kind of a quick one, two, three. And then I tore into him. I left him laying in the center of that ring. The fans forgot all about who won the match and lost the match. And we're just happy that the Russian nightmare walked out on his two feet and ravishing Rick Rue was, you know, laying probably bleeding there in the cage, you know, so to Rick's credit. So all that to say, I feel like I had a a very decent relationship uh, with, with Ole. Yeah. Cause I can't, I mean, I'm, I'm, as you're telling the story, I can't think of any time cage match traditionally has always been the blow off. Right. And the baby face finally, Right, it's his revenge because right. he's got the bad guy locked in where nobody can get out. So unless there's a lot of shenanigans and you've got managers involved and or or, or whatever kind of you know shenanigans happen. Yep. So who was if Oli was bringing down the finishes for it? Who was making the finishes? I think Jim Hurd. I think was still kind of in charge back then. He. he he probably Jim probably Jim probably should have still been selling pizzas and not not running wrestling organization. But uh, I was gonna throw that out there, Jim. No offense, um, but um, I, I it, you know it's a long time ago. But I I I see it seems like he might have still been at the helm or still making some of those decisions. And and uh, but anyway, yeah. So I couldn't definitively say who sent the finish. Uh, and, and and it was a time too, Chris, where 
where when I came back, so some people know, some don't, you know, I left in the, in the mid career, I had a wife that, that died of cancer. She, she was diagnosed at 24. She fought it for two years, passed at 26. It, it had gone into remission. And, and of course we were happy with that, but then it came back with a vengeance. And at that point I stepped away, I walked away and I told the office, I go, I'll be back, but she's a priority. You know, my wife, I got to take care of my wife and all that. And and they honestly weren't happy. You know, they invest a lot of time and TV and money in me and, and we're thrilled that I was walking away. And even though I gave my word, I'd be back. And I will say for the record, when I eventually came back, never quite seemed to, I, it just wasn't the same. They just seemed to have, it's almost like, I, I don't want to say they intentionally tried to bury me, but finishes like that almost might give you the impression they're just trying to bury this guy, you know, and his whole career. And fortunately, I learned enough from Ivan and Don and others that even in a scenario like that, I could still take care of myself in the match, you know, and come come out, you might say, come out on top, even though I'm doing the job, right? So, yeah, Which is always baffling to me because this, this brings me to a question. It's something that I've contemplated and asked before uh, with other people. Professional wrestling over the time, has always kind of been its own universe. It's been its own world that's just kind of been left to its own devices for so long, it seems like, right? The politics inside of it, the 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 animosities, the locker room bickering, the, the between promotions, all of that kind of stuff. But nobody, because everybody was like, oh, pro wrestling. Nobody takes it seriously, but they don't realize that there's real life stuff that goes along with the people that work inside of this industry. The fact yeah, that you but, took you know, time 100%. Away, and, and, and I noticed a change too. Mm -hmm. You know, when I broke in, Jim Crockett owned it. It was a family business, right? Mm -hmm. and, and there was a, a noticeable shift when he eventually sold it to Ted Turner. And, and it went from family owned business to a portfolio in Ted Turner's right uh, a, a file in Ted Turner's portfolio right it, it just became a court cor so it went for it went from mom and pop to corporate America right and, and and there was just a shift there and Dusty and I would even talk about it at times you know he when he was working up there in what we call the ivory towers and um I mean I, I remember him telling me like they couldn't even have, you couldn't even have a conversation with the guy in the office next door to you without without paperwork being filled out so there was a paper trail, right? <laughs> like, wait, what? You can't walk out of your office door around and in the neck and, and just have a conversation. He goes, not without any paperwork. <laughs> like they had to document everything. So, you know, it's corporate America. Everything's got to be protected, you know? And and so yeah, it just and then the politics, Chris. Yeah. At that point, especially when I came back. You know, people said, you know, did you, you know, did you love wrestling? Did you love being a wrestler or whatever? I, I did. I mean, I, I look back at my career with fond memories. At a certain point there, um, they could have all the poly, all the stuff outside the ring. Uh, from bell time to bell time, man, I was, I was a happy camper. I was excited to go in and entertain the fans and give them a hundred percent from Nikita Koloff. Uh, but everything outside of that they could have they could they could have it and keep it i just i had the one i didn't want any, any part of it how how tough was it for you to live the gimmick 
outside of outside of wrestling because you know you were very adamant about like people aren't going to know who i really am they're going to know this character and that's it right so so buying a car for i know that there's stories about how like ivan koloff would help you with signing papers apparently and stuff like that right but you're, you you got to buy a car you got to do things like that and how do you stop it from how do you stop it from people from your hometown leaking it so so what was funny go back to the minneapolis again we'd have yeah. you know we only have a handful of matches there and and we just come in there on tbs we weren't doing our local mid-atlantic or worldwide wrestling and i don't believe in in minneapolis at the time we were just promoting off of the superstation um but uh and, and it was funny occasionally in the crowd you know i'd hear somebody you know yell 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 my 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 birth my my former legal name you know nikita yeah. Koloff's my legal name it's been legal since since the mid 80s and they'd yell it trying to see if i would respond you know while i'm standing on the ring apron or in the ring or whatever and 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 i wouldn't chris i, I wouldn't put it over and i came to learn a term that apparently I was doing, but didn't know I did it. And I guess in the acting world, they call it method acting is, is the term method acting where you literally, you know, some of the best actors in, in the business, the Al Pacino's of, of, of Hollywood, right? Uh, I'm not saying I'm Al Pacino. Don't misunderstand me here. But, but the point being guys who perfect their craft like that, that's what they do. They they method, they project their mindset into that role, into that character. Now, the difference for me is I had I, I decided to do that 24-7, 365. And, and, and I, that's just what I did. I just made up my mind. That's what I was going to do. So whether it was buying a car or going to a restaurant or, or flying on an airplane or walking through an airport or whatever, uh, I just made up my mind. I was not going to break character. That's amazing. That is so amazing. Um, did that become, did that become a problem for you for, with some of the other boys though? It, 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 in the back. <laughs> you, you probably already know the answer to that question. <laughs> I do. Cause, cause I, I've heard, I've heard like comments like from Art Anderson and, 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 and other guys. In fact, I, I ran into uh, Mark Merrill. Uh, a while, uh, maybe a, okay. a couple, three, four, five years ago. Now, after time flies, right? But okay. and we were doing an autograph signing somewhere, and I hadn't seen him in years. He goes, he goes, dude, I got to tell you this story. I'm like, okay. He goes, man, when I first came into in, into the Mid Atlantic, and, and and we're sitting in them dressing rooms, and you're you're talking with the, you know your accent and character. He goes, he goes, for one, let me just say for the record, he goes, you you scared the bejeebies out of me, like like I, dude, I was. I'm in the business, but man, you, you've frightened me. Right. So he goes, and, and so I, I didn't want to approach you. He goes, but in addition to that, he goes, I'd lean over to some of the guys and whisper and go, Hey, um, does he know like we're smart to the business? Like we know he's not really from Russia or whatever he was, but I was too scared to say anything to you, but I was asking the other guys, you know, and I heard, you know, Arg's kind of busted chops on it. But the reason I did that, here's the part of the reason I did that, Chris, in those days, you know, some of the security guys in the building or or just marks, right? What we know as marks um, could walk into the dressing room or, or and or if they did, I just went back into character. Right. Right. 
to protect the character right. and in my mind protect the business right and was this was this something that you learned like right out the gate from Ivan Koloff and and Don was like how important protection of your character is or did you already know this well you know so 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 Don and Ivan are old school right mm -hmm. And so, you know, it was kind of instilled with me, hey, at all costs, you know, you, you protect the business. Like, even, even like, we go to towns and, and, and to gyms and stuff. And and in those days, like, this is just how I did. Maybe not. But if I walked in and Magnum TA was was in the gym working out, I I, I wouldn't be happy but because he beat me there. But but so I'd walk back out and, and, and roll in a couple hours later or something. Like, when we were traveling, obviously, we had – our own gyms in, in Charlotte and stuff uh, that we worked out at. But a lot of times in a town, you know, there was a gym owner that just would, you know, bless us with the opportunity, you know, come out, come out, work for free. Just like the wrestlers say, Hey, all the pro wrestlers working on my gym. Right. So anyway, um, things like that, you know, things like that, that uh, again, myself, perhaps more than other guys, I, I just went, I suppose you'd say to an extreme, to protect the business, even something like that, or, or walking into a restaurant, or make sure I sat on the opposite end of the restaurant, or you know, walked out of the gym and waited till they were done, and then went back to the gym and, and things like that. You know, how did you, how did you avoid the lifestyle, the the partying and all of that that went along that we hear infamous stories about, but never with you. Yeah, I was not. In fact, sometimes the guys would bra would browbeat me, you know, because because uh, Luger is funny, right? So him and I, him and I do these camps. You see the logo behind me. You see the Sherman Camp. That's a camp that Lux Luger and I facilitate every spring and every fall down in in, in Georgia, a little town called Royston, Georgia. And um, uh, the Lord reconnected him and I together in, in 2006. I hadn't seen him for 11 years. Like the last time I saw him was December of '95, and then the next time I saw him was at a a conference out in Phoenix and an athletes conference, uh, Christian athletes conference in June of 06. So, and we connected, re we hit it off. And then I began to learn some, some, you know, spending time with him, some of the things he'd say about me. It, it, like, like, for example, when he first came into the NWA, you know, they'd all go out and he goes, where's man, where's the key to they're like, he's back in his hotel room. He's like doing what? They go, um, like he's eats tuna and he watches TV and, and he's like, that's just weird. He he's weird, right? He say that kind of thing. Or or when I decided to walk away under my own terms, you know, Chris, it was right before pay-per-view multi-million dollar contracts, right? I mean, big money. They're paying these guys crazy money. And when he heard it, I laughed. He goes, I don't remember if I called you a moron or an idiot or both. I can't remember. Right. But he's like, that guy's crazy. Why is he leaving? Uh, you know, little did he know 11 months later, I'd be giving my life to Christ and, and eventually launch Koloff for Christ Ministries and all that. And then 11 years later, him and I would reconnect and he'd be doing ministry with me. Right. So God has a bigger plan than we could even imagine. Um, but they would browbeat me sometimes and go, God, oh, come on, you never go out with us. I'm like, ah, fine. All that to say, Chris, even even in my younger days, high school, college days, I, I, I've I, I've never I've never done you know any types of dr of drugs you know as far as like you know marijuana, cocaine, you know any of that kind of stuff ever. Just never have. Grew up as a kid thinking it was not good for you, so I just never did it. 
you're an athlete, you know, my brother, my oldest brother, hey, if you're going to be an athlete, you don't smoke, you know, you don't smoke cigarettes or whatever. I tried some chewing tobacco and that about vomiting. I'm like, uh, that ain't it, right? And I never acquired a taste for alcohol. I just, beer, liquor, any of it. I just never acquired a taste. And so I would occasionally go out uh, to, to pacify them. And I would probably pacify one beer the entire night that I was out with them. And, and but only infrequently do that. It just, it just wasn't a part, Chris, of, of who I was or who I wanted to be. This is, this is amazing to me finding out the anomaly that is Nikita Koloff. Like the more and more I learn about you, the more and more I realize how special you really were and are to the pro wrestling business. I mean, every bit of that. I'm not just trying to blow smoke or anything like that, but your story is so starkly different from yeah. so many other people inside of a business that you know, as well as I do, there is black cloud after black cloud that hangs and looms oversight of our industry. Yes, right? absolutely. And, 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 you know, the, the, I guess the thing I sometimes almost feel like I need to, you know, pinch myself to sometimes Chris and Lex and I talk about this too, from time to time, you know, is, you know, who would have thought all these years later, you know, I'd be having this conversation with you, for example, or, you know, I, I looked, I think I did, I think I added up the other day. I think I did 15 autograph signings la last year in 2023. And, and, and the fact that somebody's still interested in even getting my autograph, number one, um, number two, take a picture with me all these years later with, as you mentioned in the opening, which I appreciate your opening, um, I, compared to many other guys, I had a very short career, but yet, Apparently, I did something right for it to make the impact it did in that short period of time for people to still want to come out and meet me and see me and get a picture with me. And I'm just humbled beyond words to, to, to even think about that. So I, I appreciate it. I, I take your words to heart. I appreciate it. It's, it's, it's well-deserved and well-earned. Trust me. Um, I want to ask you about this because another one of my, you know, you did a lot of tag team wrestling. I love tag team wrestling i love the nuances about the psychology inside of tag team wrestling that you don't you know a lot of people unless you know you don't know you know what i mean tag team wrestling is a very special thing and one of the greatest tag team tag teams out there of course rock and roll express yep ricky and robert absolutely ricky and robert unbelievable now i recently heard a story from ricky talking about the first time you guys locked up. <laughs> I'd like to hear it from your mouth, though, in your version. Yeah, well, you know, and again, because I was kind of thrust into me. I mean, they had to show me how to lock up in the dressing room before I went and debuted on television that night in, in Raleigh. Right. So Don, yeah. Don Canoto and, you know, Ivan, they're, they're showing, me, okay, this is how you do it. You know, and I'm like, oh, okay, I think I got it or whatever. Right. Well, I didn't get it, you know. So they were like my first big main event, you might say. Now, and I'm only like months into the business. Now, up to that point, um, and for the record, Don and Ivan and I would get to towns couple three for first couple three months, couple three hours early, and they would bump and thump all over the ring and teach me the mechanics of wrestling. 
I'd have a single squash match in, you know, about a minute, sometimes against one guy, sometimes against two guys, handicap match and beat them both, you know, in 60 seconds or whatever. And, but they'd have a world tag match and I'd sit in their corner and watch their match. And then on the way home, you mentioned, you said the word psychology. On the way home, we would talk about the psychology of what they did when they did it and why they did it. And then Ivan would sit in my corner and tell me what I what I did well and what I didn't do well, you know, in my short, short match. Um, and so fast forward to to that first match because Ricky and Robert and and man, I, I didn't have a clue. And I and I and I tied up and and I got about knocked him out with a headbutt. Um and uh and he stumbled by, I guess, back into the corner and, and he's like said something to Robert, had a a few colorful words of which I won't repeat back in the corner there to Robert and, and something to the effect of watch this. And and so he locks up when he sticks that, el that elbow and, and my forehead hits right into the point of his elbow and it about knocked me out. I don't know if he hard weighed me or not. I don't really, but I know it about knocked me out and I stumble back into my corner and I'm like, Ivan, what the heck, you know? <laughs> so, so I like to consider myself, Chris, to be a quick learner, ideally, <laughs> in an ideal world. That next lockup, buddy, I had my head back as, as as far as you could have it back to make sure I wasn't going to get, my, get myself knocked out again, you know. So Ricky taught me real quick, hey, keep your head back. Don't put your head down you know, like a bull in a china shop. So that's the story. Yeah, Rick, thank you, Ricky Morton. Appreciate you. It's it's funny because you hear about that more times than not. I can remember for myself, I'm working on a show, two guys, and we're doing a circuit. We're supposed to be in the next town later on um, the next day. Two guys go in the show the night before, go to lock up. One of the guys has his head down. They end up headbutting him, splits the other guy open for seven hard way right between his lookers. The problem was the next day he was scheduled to work, work a spot with Jake Roberts. Jake Roberts was going to come out, do his thing, hit him with the DDT done and done. And he, this young kid got all nervous. He's like, but I can't. And there's kids and we're going to, I'm not going to take the chance of having get it split open. So of course, promoters like, uh, what do we do? What do we do? And I'm like, I'll do it. I'll do the spot. I go out there, do the spot with Jake. Everything is completely fine. We thank each other afterwards, but it just goes to show that anything can change on any given night, depending on what happens the night before. Right? That, that, well, that's why on those cards back in those days for the old school fans uh, watching your show and listening to your show, that's why we put all uh, – Card is subject to change. Yeah. <laughs> we, we, we want to give ourselves that leeway, right? That, it, it, yeah. In fact, I got to tell you this. Uh, at that point, go back to the Jim Hurd days. We would show up at Towns, Chris, and, and we'd look at, we'd, I, like, I knew the card that was advertised. Yeah. And half the matches in the building that night would be, would be all changed up. But some of the same guys, who were promoted to wrestle each other are there, but now not wrestling each other. And I was like, are they intentionally trying to kill the business, sabotage WCW? What the heck? This makes yeah. zero sense. No sense. But yeah, so, but, but every card every night was subject to change. That's exactly right.
I want to ask you about the heel heat that you would get as Nikita Koloff and Uncle Ivan Koloff out there. The heat would get so bad that you would get death threats. I know you've talked about this before in the past, and we've seen other instances where near riots have happened. Um, was there ever a time that you, you know, care to share with us? Was there ever a time where you were legit, possibly scared for your life, needed a police escort? I know I have one of those stories that ever happened with you. No, I think I was just, you know, 10 foot tall and bulletproof at the time. Right. I mean, 285 pounds, you know, 8% body fat, you know, I mean, it was, you know, jacked. Right. And, 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 and I, I, you know, Crockett would tell us, you know, they get calls at the office and, and it was real heat. It was crazy. Like I just got a, a, a message today. I think an email today from someone who said, man, we love to hate you growing up. We just loved to hate you, you know? And, and, um, and so I can't definitively say I was ever in a town or, or a situation where, where I was scared. Um, but there were plenty of times that we were threatened and, and I would say the closest I maybe came to that would have been that very first match against the nature boy at the great American bash at Memorial stadium. When, when a fan actually got his hands on me, but I didn't realize because it had never happened prior to that. I didn't realize it was a fan the, you know, the first few moments. And then once it dawned on me and I figured it out and I was trying to get him the, the cops finally figured out this dude's not a part of the story, rolled in, got him out. And and now my antennas are up, right? So now now my head's on a swivel. And and I would have that happen five more different times, five different towns that the fans would attempt to come after me uh and and get me, you know, come over that barricade, try to come in the ring. Uh not another fan ever got its hand their hands on me. And the irony. Here's another little side story back to the other question. The irony is, um, I, I, I'm, you know, you were talking about the lifestyle. Well, I'm reminded of a match, or not a match, I'm reminded of an event that happened in Chicago on Rush Street when, and if you can picture this, Road Warrior Animal, Nikita Koloff, Sting, and Lex Luger all traveling together in the same car. Like, for, for real, right? I can't tell you how many times we did that. There's so there's more stories than we have time to tell, but one particular night they they browbeat me into going out on Rush Street with them, right? So I'm like, fine. I kid you not, Chris. First first bar we walk into, you know, and I don't remember the order that this happened. I only remember specifically this happened. It, we'll just say it was Luger. S somebody somebody tries to you know antagonize Luger, and I'm like I'm like, are you are you stupid or what? Or you know, we're like, dude, just leave us alone. We're just trying to have a good time. So we're like, we're out of here. So, we, you know, Rush Street, there's 100 bars, right? So we walk into another one. And I kid you not, we, we weren't there probably five minutes. And then it was Sting. Somebody trying to, like, antagonize Sting. And I'm like, come on, man. We went to a third bar, no kidding, and it was Animal. Now, maybe if we went to the fourth bar, it would have been me. But I, I'm not, you can't make this stuff up. Three different bars, all three of those guys got confronted. You know, you're not that big. I can take you on, you know, whatever. And then I think we called it a night, never went to a fourth bar. But, but yeah, so I, I don't know. I guess maybe because of the chains, Chris, and that intimidating look you referenced earlier, that for the most part, people just didn't 
mess with me, even though we got death threats and all that. They they for the, just didn't didn't mess with me too much. I guess thankfully. That's crazy. That that is absolutely insane. When you see when you think about those names, you see them walking in, and the fact that there is more shoulders between these four men, like right. what what in your in your mind made you think I want a shot at the title? <laughs> right, right, right. I mean, uh, too many bottles of courage is was the problem. I think, but uh, yeah. That's exactly. I know, but it is crazy to think about, though, right? That's I exactly. saw Chris. I saw Animal open hand, like like slap a guy in a bar one time. You know, guys like I know karate, jujitsu, doing all this stuff, right? And Animal's, I don't care what you know, dude. Leave me alone. And from his waist, like he had his hands hanging on his side, and his hand came out. He open hand slapped that guy. And I, 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 I swear he flew, he flew 15 feet midair before he landed on his back. Yeah. But yeah, just, just crazy stuff, crazy stuff like that. Insane. One of the guys that you worked with, um, was sting, um, the, the Russian chain match. I don't know, by the way, is there, is there a different, uh, is there a different type of metabolism or, 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 you know, that makes up the difference between a Russian chain and an American chain? Uh, did you have these specially shipped over? <laughs> Imported from Moscow. That's exactly <laughs> okay. right. Chris. Yeah. There's something different in the metal of a Russian chain than an American made chain. Say what you want. Made in the USA. Come on. Hey, nothing like a Russian chamber. Keep right? going. Yeah. Absolutely. Um, and we're coming up to Sting's finally calling it a career, a storied career at that. Iconic. Un yeah. Unbelievable. Yeah. Uh, what Sting has been able to accomplish. You yourself, in that short period of time that you were, you know, iconic in professional wrestling yourself, you got to spend time in the ring with Sting. Coming up on his retirement, can you talk to me a little bit about your relationship with him? Yes, he was a dear friend inside and outside the ring. We spent time inside the ring as opponents. Uh, we spent time in, in the ring together as as a Sting squadron, right back in the war game days, and and other matches, tag matches, six mans, um, and it, it certainly felt like we had some great chemistry uh, in those times, whether we were squaring off against each other or, or tag teaming or. or you know, we're working, you know, working together um, and, and like to think, you know, I do get comments every now and then, you know, that, that chain match, you know, the, the, the hand, right. Boom, boom. Right. My hand, his hand, you know, got the victory. Um, and, and so nothing but great memories about the stinger, man. I, my hats off to him for, you know, for how long he's, he's maintained it and been able to, to perform and do it. And, and we became dear friends outside the ring. I've spent many, many a time, many, many trips down to his ranch in, in Texas and just, you know, just spending time with him and his boys in their in their younger days and just pouring into them, helping to mentor them and and uh mentor Steve and his walk of faith. And so yeah, kudos to him, man. it's just uh I don't know, you know, there's there's a handful of others who've had a career like him, but not many, right? Not right. many. Yeah, it's crazy. Uh, Nikita Koloff is joining us here on the Law Live Audio Wrestling and TID's Kick in the Head. Thank you so much for taking the time out um, to do this with me. I'd appreciate it. I want to ask you a couple of more things. Um, number one, 
to you, because we all know, and I have my thoughts on it. When did wrestling change? Because it has, there's no doubt about it. The business of professional wrestling has changed. And some would say I have a very old school mentality about it myself because of, I think age just kind of does that. Yeah, you live life at a certain time. It, you know, you look at the world a little bit differently. Um, but for yourself, I'm interested to know, when do you think for you that wrestling itself changed? Well, it's, it, I think it's a, for me, a very simple answer in, in that when they, when they took the creative control out of the wrestler's hand and put it into the hand of a pen writer, uh, is when I think it changed. What I mean by that, you know, you know, some people might be familiar with that term they hear you referencing to me, psychology, right? And taking nothing away from the guys performing today, I, but they're great athletes and some of them are doing some stuff I, you couldn't pay me enough money to do, uh, for the record. But when, when, if I'm wrestling Ric Flair for an hour, what I want your viewers to understand is, if I'm wrestling Ric Flair for an hour, which I did many, 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 I don't even know how many times I wrestled for a one-hour draw. More, I, my tongue was dragging, but I did it. I did it. Um, but 55, 56 minutes of that match, maybe 57 or 8 minutes of that match, was spontaneous. In other words, we were using our own ring psychology and our own creativity in the ring to tell a story, whether it was communicate verbal or nonverbal cues in the ring, creative control leading into that two or three minute outcome, whatever, whatever it was. Right. And, and so whether it was a 15 minute match or a one hour Broadway uh, with whoever you were working with back in those days, we had the opportunity to do what we said, what was called call a match. And, and so for me, Chris, I believe once they brought these writers, even interviews, you go back and you look at an interview for the Russian Nightmare Nikita Koloff or, or, or the American Dream, Death the Road, the Tower of Power, too sweet to be, Thala, if you will. Yeah. You go back and look at some. And those are spontaneous interviews. There's no script that was put in my hand and said, memorize this interview, go out and cut it. We were, it was 100% spontaneous. And, and therefore, I think you see a more organic response from the fans. And then once it was build um, sports entertainment, Chris, I think that was part of the shift. Okay. And then you add in writers writing the interviews, writers writing the matches. Uh, you, you mentioned Rock and Roll Express. I remember I was uh, the NWA and, and Corgan had brought back the Crockett Cup, okay? And they were doing it in Concord, North Carolina. They asked me to come in, Magnum to come in. Um, you know, I'd won the Crockett Cup. Uh, I think they were reintroducing the brand, you know, the old tag belts that Ivan and I wore, whatever, right? And um, I remember I, I went and grabbed something. He came back, and, and Robert Gibson pulls me aside. He goes, Keita, Keita, you just call me Keita, right? Keita. I hate this. I hate this, Keita. I go, what do you hate, Robert? He goes, we just spent an hour and 15 minutes talking about a 12-minute match from the opening bell down to the one, two, three. I go, what? He goes, we just spent an hour and 15 minutes going over a 12-minute match from the opening bell to the one, two, three. He goes, I don't dare tell a joke out there. I think it'll screw the whole match up and my opponents as well, you know? Oh, my gosh. I, I'm like, Robert, 
better you than me, right? <laughs> so I, that's kind of a long-winded answer yeah. to your question, but I, I, I believe that's when everything shifted. Talk to me very quickly about Terry Taylor. Because Terry the, Taylor? The, the, yeah, the title unification stuff and, and you working with Terry, um, I, I, I believe should should go down i think that's one of the one of the matches and programs that kind of gets forgotten in the in the legacy of nikita koloff because there's so much emphasis put on put on the four horsemen stuff there's so much emphasis put on the dusty road stuff and the magnum ta stuff and even the rock and roll express stuff but a lot of people a lot of people you know gloss over terry taylor and yourself you mean the one like like the, when we were wrestling for the? Oh, I'm oh. kind of fading out. There, there, <laughs> there we go. it is. The the NWA TV title unification against the UWF. That's right. TV title unification, right? Um, so which which I have sitting off to the side. I just didn't grab that one. The original, the original belt that won in Chicago in 1987 is sitting right right over there. Uh, I have to save that for another time. But all that to say. Um, I, I do hear, I appreciate you asking that because one, I have nothing but total respect for Terry Taylor. You know, I think he was an undervalued talent, um, you know, could have been used in, in many other ways. You know, some people say, oh, when he did the red rooster thing, he ruined his career, whatever the man, the man wanted to feed his family. Yeah. The man wanted to feed his family. So I, I, I don't know that I would have done the red rooster, but for him, the man wanted to feed his family. And and I do get comments. It's interesting that some have said some of it was one of the better matches on the Shy Town Heat card that night, and and which I'm honored by that and appreciate that. And a lot of that credit goes to Terry Taylor. Again, he's calling the match. He's using ring psychology, listening to the fans, and he's calling the match that would lead into the outcome. When I walk away with with these two belts, and so. Nothing but complimentary things to say about, about Terry Taylor. Before we go, I'd be remiss if I didn't ask this, and I want to get and talk to you a little bit about man camp. We know about your um, love, devotion for Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Was there, was there a coming to Jesus moment for you? Um, what was it that, you know, did you wake up one morning? I'm interested in finding out. I know for myself, because myself back in the, back when I was a child, uh, in these early seventies and mid seventies, I was a member of a ministry, uh, okay. as well, um, um, called Christ called Christ is the answer out of California, out of San Bernardino, California. And it was one of the ministries that would go around town to town, putting up the tent and preaching the gospel. So when I found out that you had your off for Christ, you know, your ministries and now, now this man camp, I'm interested to know it. Was there a certain incident for you that turned you on to God? Yeah, no, I appreciate the question. And let, let me say this for all, you know, all your viewers, listeners. And so, so this, well, I'm flashing out that, okay, this, this book right here, Nikita, a tale of, of the ring of redemption, um, which I just went in the studio last year and, and did in my own voice, my life story now on Audible, Amazon, Audible, all that. Now you you can download the the you can download the story, but you can't get the story autograph. But you can get the book autograph, right? Right. But tell us the full story, Chris, of of that whole journey from as far back as as I can remember 
uh, my early days to really present day. I just I just actually updated that relatively recent. And then this book, Wrestling with Success, that I that I wrote, um, kind of highlights a little bit of that story too. And and so how I would answer the question is this way, like when I mentioned earlier about walking away from wrestling, because you asked me, did I, you know, have my life kind of mapped out? Did I know what I was gonna do after wrestling? No, if somebody told me I'd be traveling the globe, you know, as an evangelist and sharing the gospel and the love of Jesus for the last 30 plus years, you know, I would have asked if you were smoking dope, like for real, like, uh, you know, or you, you're crazy. I, I do what? You know, so just like I didn't grow up in Russia, I didn't grow up in church. I didn't grow up in church, but that's not to say I didn't hear the story. So I had heard the story, you know, obviously Easter and Christmas and those two events center around the birth and death of Jesus and the resurrection of Jesus. So I knew the story, Chris, but for 34 years, that story never transferred from my head down to my heart. And when I left wrestling in, in, at the end of 92 and, and, and I'm moving forward in 1993 and I'm just contemplating what's life hold for me next. And that wrestling with success book, you know, what, what, what happened with that one is, is I was like, man, in my mind, I'm like, I'm successful, but I'm not fulfilled. Like, like, I mean, championship belts and roar of the crowd, you know, are satisfying for a moment, but they're not sustaining. They're, they're not lifelong and they're not sustaining. Right. And, and so I'm like, what's missing, you know? And I had met a Christian couple through business and, and, and they had invited me to their church, and, and it was just a divine appointment for me, really, the way I look at it. October 1993, 17 October 1993, I called them that week. I said, hey, I want to come to church on Sunday. And they're like, great. And I went. I sat in that, that audience that day, and it was an aha moment for me that I figured out what was missing, why I was unfulfilled, because that story never made the trip from my head to my heart. And I was the first one to the altar on my knees asking for forgiveness and repenting and receiving Jesus in my heart that day. And the sense immediately, I could think back, Chris, and immediately this, this sense of fulfillment just, just came over me. I'm like, wow, that was, it was just an encounter, a genuine encounter. And fast forward to today. Oh my gosh. Now a total of 36 different countries, all 50 States, uh, I've, I've written three books, working on some others. Um, I've got a radio show and a TV show and a podcast called The Man Up Show. People can find it on all the different platforms. Um, uh, Lex and I do these camps for small groups of men every spring and every every fall. We've got another one coming up at the end of April. And where we're, we just bring men in uh, for five days. And, and the idea is to uh, empower them equip them, send them back home, you know, with, with the right tools to be a good husband, a good father, a grandfather, just a good man. And so that's the vision when God gave him and I this, um, and uh, we're just excited to, to be a part of it. And if people want to learn more about the camp or even check out, you know, the books and all that kind of stuff, connect with me on social media, um, listen to the podcast, the Man Up podcast, just go to koloff.net. Very simple, one stop, koloff, last name, koloff.net, 
and and you can connect with me all the different ways and follow stay in touch with me and and all of that and i just i appreciate you appreciate you giving out to you to just share a couple minutes of that and and appreciate the interview today thank you no thank you sir uh i i know that you are extremely busy um always on the go trying to get you tied down for this has been a chore nothing to say you know say the least i know i'm super I know. glad that we did it i hope and I, I i hope and i pray that you enjoyed yourself that you would want to do this again um you know because there is still so many more questions that i have just for myself personally that i think that our fans would have as well and and i gotta be honest with you this the idea and the concept behind man camp intrigues me so i want to know more about it and i think that more people should know more about it i think that your story is absolutely fascinating and should never ever stop being told no i appreciate it and you'll see it when you go you go cl click onto the link to the man camp link you see some amazing stories and testimony testimonies there of I, we have everything chris from 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 marriages being restored i mean on the brink of divorce you know, one guy came, he was a military guy, came, he didn't even know when he came to camp, his wife was planning on filing for divorce while he was at camp. And he came home, she saw such radical change in him that that she never even pursued it, that any further, tore up the papers and, and, and fast forward a couple of years later. In fact, Chris is gonna be coming on staff this, this April coming back to staff the camp now that he's, you know, and has such a great story of, of marriage restoration. And that's just one of many I could, I could show you. So yeah, I, I'm, I'm glad you're intrigued by it. Most men, I'll just say this, most men, the term I hear most often is that camp was life-changing. So for most men, I can't say hundred percent, sure, but for most men, they go home, they're, they're, they're different than when they came. So. That's incredible. Who would have thought that one of pro wrestling's biggest heels would turn out to be this crazy. It's great. But, but God, Chris, but right? God, there is a God. <laughs> Good for you. That's uh, incredible. Nikita. Thank Kowalski, you, sir. Thank you so much. I appreciate you more than you could possibly ever know. Um, and I want to thank you so much again for joining us here on the law live audio wrestling. Please, everybody go out there, go to Amazon, get the audio version. I got to be honest with you. I'm kind of disappointed that you don't do it in the Nikita Koloff uh, voice, but you know, that <laughs> that's just too much to ask, I guess. Well, I'm looking at, I'm looking at your show, they're kicking the head, right? So what I, what I want everyone to do is when they tune in to, to kicking the head to, to the law, live audio wrestling, is to go out and, and kick somebody in the head, but don't hurt them because wrestling is all fake. Come on. Check out. Oh. All right. That's it. The curtain's been pulled back far enough. <laughs>